Hello and welcome to another episode uh, of our Coffee with Tim and Lebo podcast. Uh, as you know, we won the Spurgeon Award uh, last year, or this year, it was actually this year, uh, for Best Coffee Podcast, which is fantastic. So to celebrate that, I have a good friend with me today, uh, Morten Vennerskår. Hello. 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 Uh, Morten is, uh, has been on the podcast before. We talked about what an importer does, so if you don't know him or what he does, I recommend you to check that episode out. Um, but basically, maybe Morten, you can just give a short introduction to who you are. Yeah. Uh, I have uh, a company called Nordic Approach, and we are a green coffee importer uh, with uh, based here in Oslo. Um, yeah, doing imports uh, mainly for the European market. We uh, are using warehouse facilities in Belgium. We're focusing only on high-scoring specialty coffee, traceable. Yeah. Yeah. So you, ba- you basically import green coffee and sell to roasters. Exactly. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, we do have some listeners who doesn't work in coffee. So we have to be on that level sometimes when we explain things. Great. Cool. Um, today we're actually going to talk about Kenya, uh, one of my favorite origins. Is it your favorite origin or among them maybe? Yeah, I think... Uh Overall, if you think about flavor profiles, I would say it's probably my uh, my favorite origin. Yeah, I've, uh, for me, it's a definite. Like every time people ask me, and I get this question a lot: if you were on a desert island and only had one coffee to drink for the rest of your life, it would be a Kenyan coffee, for sure. Uh, just this, they're so intense, so fruity. They work well cold and hot. Uh, I just love that kind of red fruit profile in coffee in general. That's why I love Bourbons. Uh, I love Kenyan coffees, there are SLs, and yeah, I, I enjoy geishas and Ethiopians as well, but not the same. <laughs> oh, I agree. There's yeah. something unique about Kenya. So uh, I was just in Kenya, and you were too. Uh, you were there, there the week before me, and uh, the reason is uh, we have like a buying season in Kenya, and that kind of starts in January and goes throughout February, March, maybe. And that's just basically because the main harvest is normally in November, December, and the coffees start coming in in January. So that's when the most of the coffees in Kenya are sold. So uh, as a coffee roaster, or you are an importer, we like to go down and see what's happening um, and taste the coffees. And it's the first time since I've been there since the pandemic. Uh, I assume you've been there a couple of times during the pandemic, or yeah, I was actually there every year. I think in 2021, I I think I was, as far as I know, more or less the only visitor, <laughs> like <laughs> during that, that season. So yeah, I was ver- very well taken care of. Yeah, let's put it that way. Oh, well, we had first pick on everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you had so such good coffees all the time. But uh, we're going to try to break uh, break down the ins and outs of Kenya and talk a little bit about it. There's some rumors in the industry that quality is going down in Kenya. We're going to talk about that. Uh, and also just to explain everyone who might not have been there uh, and love the coffees, how coffee is grown and traded and uh, why Kenyan coffees are so good. Because they are very good. So let's get into it. Maybe we can start explaining, first of all, how coffee is grown. Do you have any 
Uh, do you want to paint a picture on how coffee is grown in Kenya? Yeah, I can try. Uh, I mean, uh, like many African countries, there's uh, a lot of, uh, let's say, smallholders with, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know the average uh, right now, but I guess uh, around a hectare or maybe less than a hectare um, of coffee trees, maybe uh, basically in their garden. Um, but uh, Kenya also have some tradition on bigger farms, which are called their like uh, estates um, that can be, you know, like uh, hundred uh, plus hectares. Um, and of course you will have something in between. Yeah. Uh, but I would say, you know, like the, the, the industry has been like, uh, let's say uh, it's very regulated, but it's been, uh, you know, like a lot of big estates, but many of the states were earlier on scattered around Nairobi, and uh, many of them are basically uh, gone, and uh, it's more like real estate uh, development in the areas where you used to have a, a lot of bigger estates. So I would guess now, without knowing uh, exactly, you know, like the numbers, I would guess that the the, the volumes mainly comes from uh, smallholders more than uh, the bigger estates. Yeah. Um, and for us, we're, I mean, we're generally just focusing on smallholders. We do buy from a few estates, but uh, but uh, I also, I mean, my personal opinion from, I mean, I've been buying coffee there for uh, probably like 15 years or something. And uh, I see that, uh, let's say on, on a general level, the better coffees are also coming from the smallholders. Yeah. Um, and the smallholders are delivering their cherries to a, a, a washing station in Kenya. It's called like a factory. Mm. Um, and the factories would normally be part of a cooperative where there can be like several, everything from one to 15 factories or washing stations under one cooperative. Um, and uh, those factories, they will, uh, you know, like they will uh, pulp the coffee. I'm not going into details, but, you know, like they will remove the skin and the fruit of the cherry and they will ferment it and they will dry it uh, before it goes, uh, you know, like further upstream in the supply chain. Yeah. Uh, mm. So it's more like a centralized uh, processing uh, station for uh, for the farmers. Yes. And uh, you mentioned small of the farmers, uh, just to paint a picture. I've been to some of these uh, shambas, they call it, which is basically a small uh, smallholder farm. Uh, very often they will have some animals, uh, maybe a vegetable garden. Maybe they grow some grass or corn for the animals to f feed on, whether it's goats or cows. Uh, maybe they will have uh, 100 to 300 coffee trees that they tend and a small house, and that's it. So uh, I am a farmer with uh, 400 coffee trees and have been producing, last year I produced f uh, 30 kilos of coffee, <laughs> of green coffee. So uh, even though the, the trees in Kenya are quite uh, planted with the big distance between each other, they, the varieties they grow produce a lot of cherries or have the potential to do so. Uh, and the farmers can produce quite a lot of coffee on you know, even a one hectare. It's still not enough for them to process their own coffee. Uh, I mean, they could do, but uh, um, it, that also takes some investment in equipment and everything. So I think that's why the model of centralizing the uh, processing makes sense in in those countries. And we do see, like in Colombia, companies now starting to build centralized mills as well, because in Colombia, even the farms are two hectares in average size. Um, 
very often it doesn't make sense to process your own coffee. True. And they have uh, a lot, uh, you know, like denser planting and uh, trees that are having much higher yields. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and even there, I mean, at least for quality uh, reasons, it can be advantages, let's say, of having a, a more like a central uh, processing uh, facility. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can dig into that a little bit later, but um, why do you think uh, the quality from the smallholders are better um, than the estates? I mean, it's definitely uh, a combination of, uh, of many things. I mean, uh, variety have, is like one uh, one reason. Um, a lot of the estates uh, change their varieties from, let's say, I mean, it's no, not an absolute, but you know, like there are uh, varieties there, like the classic one that I'm sure we will talk about, the SL28, which is known as a uh, let's say a plant it, it it can be high yielding but it's let's say it takes more to get like a higher higher yield but uh, the cup quality is uh, outstanding you know like in the states they have uh, a tendency to change those varieties those plants with the uh, higher yielding plants like the Ruru 11 and things like that that are let's say it's harder to make them perform as good uh, on the cup quality yeah so that's uh, one of the reasons. Um, I, I think, I mean, the, the let's say the smallholders is also in areas where I think the environment can be at least uh, more suitable or more ideal for mm. uh, for higher quality. It's like the, it's the soil, it's the it's the climate. You know, like the altitudes can be higher so yeah. i think there's it's a combination of many things i'm very often told that uh because and i also kind of believe it a little bit because uh if you run on a big estate you have to hire workers to pick <laughs> and uh, i've visited some estates and the cherry selection is not necessarily the greatest they don't necessarily do the sorting and everything there are companies today at least there's a lot of kind of farms that are run by a management company and not the farmer themselves because the farmers they just own the estate and they don't even live there or care and i'm talking about the like really big ones and um there are not too many of those anymore but but as a small older farmer you would normally have a set day a week that you can deliver cherry to a factory otherwise everyone would come on the same day maybe so the factory kind of gives uh, all the members a specific day that they can come and deliver on normally and uh, the smallholder farmers will pick their the coffee themselves um, and make sure that they have a better cher cherry selection because they know they have to sort it on the cooperative, at the best cooperatives at least. So that's a narrative that I'm very often told and I can kind of see in practical terms as well that maybe it's true, but I don't think it's the only factor why why the coffees are better. I think also like the trees for sure. Uh, you see see a lot of the traditional varieties with the smallholder farms still because they believe it's better. And I mean, it's also about the management on the uh, on the uh, factories, uh, yeah. of course. Like I said, I mean, it's it's not necessarily so that you are gonna have great coffees because you're in a good area and uh, because it's from smallholders. I mean, there's uh, it's got a lot to do with the uh, management and uh, you know, like the tradition in that place in terms of uh, you know, like uh, cherry quality is one thing. Um, and uh, it's also been like in some of these areas, like in 
you know, like the, the well-known one like Kirinyaga, Nieri, they do know that their product can be very attractive if they put, you know, like effort and work into it. Mm. And they also have support from, uh, let's say, other organizations like marketing agents that are helping them yeah. uh, to, let's say, optimize their quality, which is which I also think have a lot of impact. Yeah. So speaking of processing, I mean, one of the reasons why I believe Canon Coffee in general is so high in quality is not necessarily because they have better plants, better soil, better uh, you know conditions, because you do find that in other countries as well. But uh, when you process coffee from, uh, let's say, 500 farmers come and deliver coffee in one day, hypothetically, there's big batches of coffee. And uh, they have been specializing their... Uh, processing techniques at these cooperatives for many, many years. I mean, when you go there, the, the factories look quite old. And even if it's built like five years ago, it still looks very old because <laughs> it's the exact same design and everything. True. So they use, um, uh, I, I had a talk for my staff yesterday and just explaining how the coffee is processed. And that's one of the reasons why the quality is so consistent and high because uh, on the cherry reception, they start sorting the cherries. So they put the ripe cherries in one hopper and the other stuff in the other hopper. They process with an old uh, agar disc pulper normally. And a disc pulper has a grading system. After the cherries are depulped, the kind of parchment coffee goes into a kind of basin of water where the heavy ones will sink and the floaters will go, uh, they will float. And they are separated into different tanks, so they ferment separately. And then they normally, very often they have like a double fermentation, uh, which means they ferment the coffee overnight and then they have to move the coffee to a new tank so they make space for the new coffee that comes in the next day. And then it ferments another day and then they wash the coffee. And during the washing, they use uh, African washing techniques, we call it normally in the coffee, where you have the coffee in a washing channel, like a long kind of a channel of water running uh, downstream and then you push the coffee upstream. And then floaters will float over, they put some obstacles in the channel so that the coffee kind of floats over it. And then they divide, like one batch of coffee can be divided into three uh, different products. It's P1, which is parchment one, which is the heavy stuff that is in top of the channel. And then P2 in the middle, and then the lights are in down <laughs> downstream. And uh, they are dried separately, sold separately, processed separately. Uh, at the drying tables, they sort, hand sort defects once the coffee is dried, it's normally put in a conditioning bin so the moisture is evened out. And then it's taken to a dry mill where the coffee gets uh, sorted again uh, on based on density, size. And then they're actually packed in different sizes. So you probably heard of double A, AB, PB. And these are just different size beans. So as a roaster, when I go and buy, I say I'm only going to buy double A's because I know that's the densest, biggest beans. And in my experience, they, those are the ones who taste the best. And when I buy a batch of coffee, then it's so easy to roast because it's very evenly sorted and density is even, size is even. And uh, it's so, so consistent, even if the coffee comes from 100 farms or 500 farms. And this is quite unique, I think, for, I guess, Africa in general, but especially Kenya, where they trade the coffee in, in this system where everything is separated all the time. And I mean, after all, that's what specialty is about, separation and sorting, I guess. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I, I, I agree. I mean, like you say, they're doing this, you know, like they're doing similar things 
across other, let's say, countries uh, in Africa and also other places. But I think, uh, let's say, even if it's if it's pretty simple, it's kind of. Uh, I think Kenya is unique in the sense that it's it's very uh, well developed. You know, like throughout the whole supply chain, how they, you know, like what happens on the on the washing station, like you mentioned, that's one thing. Uh, there are other places that they're doing that, but I think it's you know like it's it's also followed through you know like the whole supply chain in terms of uh, like you say they're you know like milling them and grading them immediately. The, the the trade is set up in a way so they are able to let's say maintain what started on the washing station level yeah. in terms of separation and um, yeah. So I don't think there is any other country that are you know, like able with that, let's say, uh, basic uh, setup that are able to perform uh, as well as, as Kenya do on on uh, average and overall. Yeah, because that's the standard system. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I mean, I have taken inspiration from that system. For instance, when I work with Elias in Colombia, I mean, this is what we try to do. We we separate each daily picking, we keep it separate, we do grading, we do uh, even uh, screen sizing for the green coffee before we export it. Um, so, uh, and it makes a difference for the quality for sure. And uh, that's a standard in Kenya. I mean, that's uh, pretty unique. And the fact that I can, as a roaster, can go down and just, you know, buy the very, very best coffees uh, on a standard auction. Uh, that's pretty, pretty insane. Like in Colombia, if you're a commercial buyer, you would normally buy something that is blended of many different farms and there's no address on the coffee and um, yeah, the quality in, within a batch can vary quite a lot, I think. So, um, I mean, the, that's quite unique for Kenya. Let's talk about the cultivars they grow because uh, they are also quite famous. Um, uh, people talk about SLs all the time, but can you quickly just mention the different varieties that you know they grow? Oh. <laughs> uh, <from the> web. <laughs> I'm not so well prepared. No, I mean, uh, like uh, like you're saying, I mean, SL, the SL varieties, and there's a long story uh, behind those. I don't know if we're going to go into that, and I don't have all the details, but I mean, they are known as the, you know, like the, the, the best uh, performing uh, coffees of, uh, you know, like in terms of flavor. So you have like SL28, that's probably the most well-known, but they have SL34 uh, and they have other SL varieties. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember how far back, but, you know, like uh, some decades ago, they introduced uh, Ruru 11, which is more like a, it's a hybrid. Um, and uh, with, uh, do you remember? Like... Uh, what it is? Yeah, it is like, it's a Katimor uh, yeah. kind of hybrid, but I can't remember the exact... Uh, the mix, I don't remember either, but no. it's definitely a Hybrido de Timor that they have used, which is Hybrido de Timor is a mix of Robusta and Arabica, yeah. uh, kind of a natural crossing. And that's more resistant uh, against leaf rust and stuff, but uh, the flavor is not necessarily the best. So they, I think they back-crossed it with some of the SLs and uh, yeah, kind of developed a Kenyan version of what you could call maybe a Castillo in Colombia, or, but where they used slightly different genetic material. Exactly. And I think that was widely spread, uh, you know, like over some decades because it was easier to, to manage, you know, like yields were good and um, and uh, all that. But I mean, um, 
And then, yeah, I'm sorry. And then they developed uh, a variety called Batian um, not so many years ago. I mean, it's been working progress for a long time, but it was released maybe like three or four years ago, like officially. Yeah, Something it's been like. in the market maybe already 10 years, I think. But uh, Yeah, but I think officially released, like, yeah. uh, it's, uh, yeah, I can't remember either because it was like a lot of uh, uh, experiments and trials and uh, test plots and, uh, yeah. you know, like, so. Um, but anyway, so I think that's the kind of uh, the main varieties. But, I, in you know, like, in the States, it's easy to, it's, let's say, you will, if if it's a, let's say, a, a farmer that you know that are managing his farm well, he would know exactly what varieties you have. But yeah. I mean, now I think it's a good mix uh, almost everywhere, to be honest. And people like to talk about uh, and think about that they're buying SL28s, for instance. Uh. But uh, I think that's pretty <laughs> far from, from the truth. So, yeah. And uh, we have done trials, and it's not like all Ruder 11s that are uh, bad either. I mean... Uh, so, yeah, but I think uh, generally now it's a good mix, actually, especially of different SL varieties yeah. and uh, and Ruder 11. Yeah. Uh, and probably also more and more Batian uh, in the mix. I've never personally tasted uh, Ruiru that was better than uh, SL28, but I've tasted good Ruiru. And I think maybe, uh, and I'm not sure here because uh, I don't have any kind of scientific proof of it or any experience with it either. But at least in Colombia, when we pick Castillo, when the cherries are really, really purple, it tastes much, much better than if it's red. And uh, the SLs tend to be quite ripe when they're just like red. And uh, if they're purple, they might be a little too ripe. So um, maybe maybe there's something there that can be done to improve it. Um, Batian, I've tasted some that are really good. I know that there are d- different lines of Batian. I've tasted some that are really floral and good, but the flavor profile is slightly different than the SLs. Yeah. Um, and I also heard, but I mean, uh, it depends on who you talk to, but there are people that don't like Batian in, in terms of the f- uh, the farming because yeah. it's like, uh, yeah, it, it can be complicated also to manage yeah. for some reason. And it's a very needy uh, plant from what I know. So yeah. you, you need a lot of inputs. Yeah. Um, but I think back to the flavor uh, things, I mean, I've tested uh, several times, you know, like uh, Ruder 11s uh, against uh, SLs and stuff like that. And like you say, normally if you put up like, a, let's say, a range of SLs and a range of, uh, of Ruder 11, we actually did like a trial here as well. Yeah, I remember. Um, you know, like the SL on average, they're coming out better and uh, I think it's more, let's say, attractive. But I think somehow, at least for us, we're not looking for one particular flavor uh, attribute or profile from kenya it's a range and yeah. it's a variety and it's like a, we will we, we we everywhere we work we want to have like a, a a variety of flavors yeah and i think you know like even if ruder 11 standalone not necessarily perform that well it can be uh contributing to a mix and diversity in flavor yeah uh, which I think is uh, is probably the case also. You know, yeah. like you 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 find different uh, profiles that you like and different uh, types of coffee, and you know, like the the mix of uh, Ruder Eleven and SLs can be part of uh, of that uh, flavor variation, basically. Yeah, for sure. We just did a copying with my staff yesterday. All the coffees that I bought this year from Kenya, and uh, 
A couple of them are like really tropical and taste like super ripe mango. Some are more like a rosehip hibiscus flavor. Uh, one is a little bit more herbal, uh, but has a very, very intense body and this kind of more like meaty blackcurrant tomato ac- uh, kind of flavor. So I agree, like uh, I like to buy different flavor profiles from Kenya as well. And in general, I think the quality there is, you know, phenomenal regardless, you know. <laughs> and it's the same back to picking. I mean, uh, sometimes you, you, you know, like you go to this kind of very high performing washing stations in Kenya. And you see that, I mean, it's not like bad picking in the sense that there's a lot of uh, greens and uh, stuff like that. But, you know, it's not like, let's say, the the optimum or optimal kind of ripeness of all the cherries. And sometimes you can think, hmm, this won't be good. But it, 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 it is actually, and I did a trial once actually, like 11 years ago, uh, and uh, asked them to do like a selection, you know, like of the super ripe cherries uh you know like uh, on a, a random day peak uh, harvest mm. and i followed that coffee through you know like the, they did everything was done properly you know like the the processing i mean the the fermentation everything was like as they do it with all the coffees and it wasn't really good hmm. it was just like flobby and missing structure and so that was uh and they were like uh, a little annoyed yeah, of course. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> like, oh, you're gonna, you know, like you have to do better than this, and uh, I'll show you how to do it. And uh, oh, it yeah. didn't really perform well, and uh, so that was a good learning experience, actually. I mean, coffee so, is very complex, and I think uh, every variety is a little bit different. Uh, the more I kind of learn about it, the more I, I understand that you can't just do one system that works everywhere. Like. Uh-huh. Uh, so for sure, that's very interesting though, because in the coffee world, we believe that, you know, the riper, the better, but it's not always the case, uh, for sure. And I've also experienced, like, I've seen that uh, Cargoto that we buy from, a lot of times when I go there and see the cherry selection, it's kind of, it doesn't look fully ripe. It's like p- between pink and green somewhere. <laughs> and the coffee tastes great. It was actually a Cargoto where oh, was I did it? the experiment. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe they have like a multicolored uh, variety that yeah, yeah. tastes good when it's, yeah. One thing that we have to mention though, uh, we talked a little bit about the process and how that kind of affects the flavor. They're very much into fermentation and stuff. But uh, one thing uh, that is uh, more and more prominent in Kenya now, at least from the people that I talked to when I was there now, is that they do see more and more Ruiru 11 being planted and very often grafted on SL28 roots. Uh, I can explain a little bit about SL28. It's kind of known for being a drought-resistant almost uh, variety because the root system is very deep. And uh, I learned in Guatemala, I was there before Christmas from a farmer called Jose Morales, that there are different coffee trees. Some have roots that grow downwards and some have roots that grow more lateral and of course the ones that grow more like horizontal (laughs) they are um, less uh, resistant against dry periods Uh, and a lot of the hybrids are uh, coffees like this because uh, they're kind of developed in places where they put uh, inputs on and everything whereas the LCLs have very deep root system so uh, what's becoming popular in Kenya is to have the SL root system but put Ruiru uh, plants on that root by grafting because the Ruiru is more resistant against leaf rust and so on. So that means they get good yields even in dry weather. Um, and uh, 
that might change the flavor of Kenyan coffee. And I don't hear a lot of people planting Batyan. Every time you ask, uh, people talk about the Rio 11 and SL, but not too much about Batyan. Do you have the same impression or? Yeah, I do. And like I said, also, when you go around and you ask uh, people and farmers, they are not uh, really impressed or they're a little hesitant to yeah. to start with Batyan for some reason. So I, I think I haven't been it haven't had like the breakthrough that they uh, hope for yeah. uh, in Kenya. Because we have to admit one thing, and that is yield is king in mm. Kenya. And uh, when you have, you know, 200 coffee trees in your garden and uh, the average production can be maybe four kilos per tree of cherry uh, uh, on an average farm. And then you see some farmers who are doing a good job. They can produce maybe 30 or 40, 40 kilos of cherry per tree. So that means 10 times the amount of production. You can't buy more land because there's no land available and it's expensive. Very expensive, actually. But you can uh, you can increase the yields quite a lot. So let's talk about how coffee is grown there. Because uh, when I went there now and I go to a farm, obviously I'm doing organic farming on my own farm or trying to do regenerative farming and taking care of the soil. And it's quite devastating to see a farm there because there's no weeds growing. They're heavily sprayed with herbicides. Um, the trees look, literally look like they're in a desert. Uh, it's just red soil, uncovered, and coffee trees. And the trees are full of disease, obviously. They're not growing in a healthy environment. So what most uh, farmers do is to use uh, fertilizer, a lot of pesticides, a lot of fungicides, and so on. And uh, that brings the costs up. And I think that's the driver of uh, the yield thing because they are so depending on growing more and more and more and more and uh, because they grow not a lot of coffee per farmer uh, it's it's not it doesn't make a huge difference if you pay you know eight dollars per pound or five dollars per pound or four dollars per pound because there's not a lot of volume so it, it's not a good income for the farmer anyway uh, that's my impression at least um, do you have any input on that like uh, <laughs> I mean, the coffee, when you go to a farm there, it's very, very different than if you go to a farm in Central America or they look completely different, I think. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, it's not like, a, but I mean, like you say, I mean, there are, you know, like even if the average uh, farm is small and let's say the average farmer is not necessarily taking too well care of his uh, plants and farm, you... You know, like because the prices in Kenya, um, I mean, we haven't really discussed that, but the, the, let's say that the prices are high compared to most other uh, regions. So we also see farmers there, even with, you know, like a, a hectare uh, or they maybe they even started with a hectare and they were successful because they're able to, to do volumes uh, and are also delivering cherries to a factory that are very successful that are able to get like high price for their coffee there are also i think you know like with the right mindset there uh, if you have land and if you and your family have like uh, all together several hectares you can be very successful as a coffee farmer um, if you do the right uh, you know like uh, things and investment in your farm compared to other places like mm. uh, Ethiopia, where you're, let's say, more uh, dependent on just like politics and uh, mm. other things that are kind of uh, determining the prices. So I agree, of course. I mean, the yield is small, but I, I also think there are, 
let's say, smallholders there that are more successful than in many other African countries. Yeah. It's still not maybe a... Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if I lived on the countryside in Kenya that I would go into coffee <laughs> no. growing. I mean, the, because uh, the amount of land available is, uh, is small and it's expensive, as you say, and um, the standard of living is growing quite fast in Kenya. Prices are growing uh, and the coffee prices just can't keep up with it, I think. Um, so we, we do see like the average age of a farmer there is, I think, over 60 years old now. Uh, I think it's either 55 or 65, I can't remember. But, um, you know, it's a dying uh, craft. <laughs> And uh, I don't. I'm not sure what's uh, if it's going to last. Um, and I also see like um, I remember I was there in 2008, and I took a road trip from Nyeri, uh, from Nairobi to Nyeri. And <clears throat> when you drive the Thika road, which was new back then, um, you you come kind of go out of Nairobi, and then there's countryside, and then you come to Riru town, and then there's countryside, and then you pass uh, Thika, and then there's countryside, and then come to Nyeri. Whereas now it's more like a city almost the whole way. <laughs> and uh, just from Thika to Nyeri, it's a little bit more kind of uh, uh, farm, uh, farms and stuff. But um, the city of Nairobi is growing extremely fast. And you, all those places used to be coffee farms and some pineapple farms. But now it's real estate, you know, apartment buildings. No, that's true. So it's disappearing. All right, we talked a little bit about, uh, let's not get too depressive here. No. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when the coffee is uh, processed and uh, dried on, the, on a factory, uh, it has to be taken to the market. And as a buyer, there's uh, two different ways to buy coffee, through the auction and direct, they say. But can you just explain a little bit how the coffee is traded? Like uh, we, you mentioned the word marketing agent. And then we know there's exporters. Uh, can you just explain the kind of uh, journey from for a coffee from the factory until it reaches a buyer? Yeah, I can try. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so, like mentioned, I mean, there are smallholders. They will deliver the cherries to a factory, which is the washing station uh, or central processing unit, um, and uh, those factories will normally belong to a cooperative, um, which is which is relevant. But in this case, let's let's leave the cooperatives out of it because yeah. it can be complicated. But anyway, um, each factory is, you know, like uh, uh, are responsible to bring their coffee to the market, let's say. Yeah. Um, and then uh, obviously, you know, like there are exporters uh, in Kenya, as in every um, uh, coffee-producing country, you you need uh, normally need like an export license. In Kenya, you do, um, and so on to export the coffee. But between, let's say the the producer, in this case the factory and the exporter, every country have you know like different uh, let's say um, uh, trade uh, setups and uh, uh, and ways to. To deal with uh, the market, so but in Kenya, um, you have uh, what's called marketing agents mm -hmm. that are, uh, let's say, the representative of the factory in terms of getting the the coffee uh, into the market at the best possible price. Um, 
you have individual marketing agents, uh, but you also have exporters that are, you know, like they are, they have different licenses and they are not allowed to, you know, like do both, you know, like under the same, let's say, um, uh, legal company. So mm. um, in many cases, you have an export company with a sister company that act as a marketing agent. Yeah. Um, and the role of the marketing agent is primarily, of course, to get the coffee into the market at the best possible price. But, you know, like they're also acting in terms of uh, farmer training support to uh, increase quality of the product or the coffee, to increase the yield, to support the farmer and also to help the factories attract the farmers because it can be a very competitive environment yeah. where you have like many factories and washing stations in the same area. Yeah. Um, and they're competing, uh, you know, like uh, for the farmers or to attract the farmers. So um, the marketing agent, uh, let's say they are connected to an exporter. They have, there are two channels. They can take it into the auction, which is like, a, uh, right now it's a digital auction, but it, uh, yeah, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, like it's an auction where everything is, uh, let's say transparent in the sense that if the farmers bring the coffee to the auction, they can follow the coffee through the auction and know what uh, the final price for their product is, um, which is a good thing. Um, uh, and even if you have an exporter that also have like a, a marketing agent uh, as a sister company, the marketing agent, when they bring it to the auction, you know, like, or the auction allow anyone to buy their yeah. the, the coffee. But let's say you're an exporter uh, and I'm a client and I want to buy something directly from one of the factories, you know, like they can go backwards in the supply chain, yeah. uh, negotiate with, you know, like, or the, go through the marketing agent that will negotiate uh, with the factories, yeah. let's say on my behalf, um, to finalize a price uh, you know, like uh, outside of the auction, what will happen then is that the farmer or the factory will normally look at, you know, like uh, last week's auction price or whatever and add, let's say, 50 cents per pound or something mm. uh, to do like a direct uh, sale. Yeah. In our case, we're mainly doing kind of uh, things directly. It doesn't mean that there's a principle but it just like for us, it have made sense the last few years because we try to work as consistent as we can in certain areas with certain factories and so on. Um, so, yeah, yeah, so that's the reason <clears throat> for that. I, I also actually want to buy mostly direct, but uh, actually in the last couple of years because of COVID, maybe uh, it's been difficult. So uh, a lot of the samples that are kind of shown to me have already been bought by an exporter. Uh, it was already in, mar in the market. Uh, meaning that the uh, marketing agent took the coffee to uh, the auction. Um, uh, and let me just uh, quickly explain. It used to be a physical auction uh, in Nairobi. So every Tuesday, there's an auction. So uh, that means every week they get in samples into a huge sample room where all the exporters can come and take samples. The exporters will cup the coffees and then... Uh, on every Tuesday, they will sit and actually physically bid on the coffee with a little button. 
And, and now, of course, it's digital. Uh, I think you can still go to the auction. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, uh, and that kind of creates a market price for the coffee. So uh, even if the exporter has a sister company as um, that is the marketing agent, they can bring the coffee to the auction, but then the exporter has to kind of buy the coffee back uh or they can just don't take it to the auction and save the sample because they know, okay, this coffee, Morton really wants to buy it. Uh, so we're going to show it to him instead and see if we can get a direct purchase. And sometimes the, the factories or the farmers themselves want to speculate or they, you know, like they're always hoping for the best. So even if we are offering them like a price higher than, the, you know, like last week's auction, for instance, they still this, they still decide to take it to the auction yeah. to see if they get like even more, yeah. and then we can buy it in the auction instead of buying it directly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's a very good traceability system, at least with the people we work with. So we know it's exactly the same coffee mm. as we have cupped already, as an example. Yeah, and I I know that the farmers follow the auction because uh, I'm part of uh, some WhatsApp groups <laughs> with some farmers down there, and they publish all the prices every week, and uh, of course if there are. Some lots that are really high, you know, that, that creates expectation. But when I was there uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was one coffee that went really, really high, but it was like 10 bags of coffee. Uh, and it was a specific factory that I know has at least three buyers that I know personally who really wants that coffee. So uh, obviously there was some competition there <laughs> and uh, that can drive the prices pretty high. And that maybe, the, maybe that's a good thing to bring it to the auction when you have a situation like that. But... I would in general say that at least when I speak to the cooperatives, they prefer direct sales because then they don't have to pay the auction fees and normally they can get a slightly higher price and they kind of want to know the buyer, although, you know, uh, direct relationships there are difficult. Uh, maybe you can explain a little bit why. Like, I don't feel like I have a personal direct relationship with any factory because it's new leadership that's elected and sometimes the workers move on to a different factory and... Uh, what's your experience there? Mm, the same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but of course, I mean, I let's say we used to have, let's say, some very good uh, personal relationships. Uh, and I mean, we, we, we still have to a certain extent, but uh, not myself because I'm not like that active uh, in Kenya. I, I go there now and then. I was there this year and last year, but to cup, but I haven't been like that active out in the fields, you know, like with the factories. But um, yeah, like you say, it's uh, first of all, the mentality is uh, is different in the sense that, you know, like even if we have in the past offered, you know, like longer term contracts, for instance, uh, thinking, you know, like one, two or three years and locking the price uh, at a pretty high level. Mm. Uh, but even then, they're they're more interested or they, they, they want to, you know, like uh, follow the market. Yeah. Um, and like you say, it's politics uh, at the sites with the management, uh, you know, like farmer representatives that um, that are going into the to the board of the factories and so on. So yeah, um, it's not like there's it's nothing. It's not bad in the sense that I mean you meet fantastic people there and they are very committed and engaged. It's just yeah it's uh it's a combination i think of the how the marketplace works and uh, yeah. the mentality that uh, makes it you know like harder than some other places in terms of uh let's say base your 
business and supply chain on personal relationships. It's yeah. more like you you build somehow like uh, trust and uh, and a longer term thing with the factory rather than yeah. on a very personal level. That's yeah. my experience. I mean, I just stay loyal because I want to, mm. <laughs> and uh, I have to say like. Uh, when I every year when I buy coffee from Kenya, I get samples from. Uh, at, before I used to go down and just taste whatever, you know, and then you selected the best ones, and it just happened that a lot of the good factories had great coffees every year, um, and then I st- started to stay loyal. And uh, when I go down there now, you know, uh, I ask the exporter, I want to see these samples, and then maybe one year. They don't have those samples because the factory chose to work with a different marketing agent. So those samples are kept in a different exporting company. So then you have to go there and copy it. And uh, uh, I think, you know, one of the few roasters that I know that have been able to really establish a good relationship with the factory is Coffee Collective with the Kiani factory. They're really like uh, really working hard to, to make that work. And it works really well, I think. Uh, I've been kind of buying from Karagoto for many years, but uh, I don't feel like I have a personal influence on how the coffee is grown or processed or anything there. Whereas in Colombia, where I work with Elias, you know, uh, we have a super close relationship and I can influence anything on the farm uh, if he wants to do it, of course. But uh, uh, it's much easier to change the way the coffee is produced and how we kind of do logistics and everything when you have a one-to-one relationship with a farmer. Whereas uh, to do that in Kenya, I mean, in order to change how the coffee is grown, you would have to go to five, six, seven hundred farms just in one cooperative. And right. <laughs> that takes a bigger organization, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, the way we work there is like we work across like two exporters that both have their own marketing agents. Yeah. Um, and let's say with the... With, with both of them, we have, let's say, primary cooperatives that we buy from. Yeah. And uh, I don't know the exact number, but let's say we buy from between 20 to 30 different factories every year. Yeah, wow. Um, and, I mean, there are names that we have had, like, every year, uh, like specific factories. And for sure, you know, like, uh, there are many cooperatives that we are have bought from every year um, so, so you know like when we when we go even before we go into the season we are communicating with the, the exporters and the marketing agents what our priorities are in terms of specific names mm. what we want to see and then you know like we're focusing on those but uh, like i said kenya is also there's also great coffees coming in you know like uh, from factories that we don't uh, really know that well yeah. uh, and there are new areas also that we have seen uh, I mean, not new areas in terms of coffee growing, but, you know, like in, in the very beginning, we were like many where we're focusing on Nyeri and mm. then there was some complications politically. So, you know, for everyone. And then we, uh, you know, like uh, started, even if we had bought from Kirinyaga before, we started to buy from Kirinyaga. And that was like great development on the quality side in, yeah. uh, in Kirinyaga. And then, you know, like we're buying from Embu, we're buying from Kiambu. So... Uh, you know, like, and there's, there's every year there are some new names that are coming up that are just copying amazing. Yeah, uh, for sure. Under the same, let's say, it can be under the same primary cooperatives or, uh, you know, like with the same marketing agent. But I think just ballpark, I guess we're buying 70% of what we're buying, 70, 80% is 
coffees that we know yeah. that we either buy every year or have bought like the last seven, eight out of the ten last years. Yeah. And then there are some new names. Yeah. And I have to say, it's not necessarily only because of the name, but it's because they are very consistent in producing high yeah. quality, of course. And that's why you kind of continue buying those coffees because, you know, even in a bad year, they're, they're having pretty good quality. And I also think the marketing agents we work with have been like great in, uh, you know, like uh, contributing to developmental quality. And they're also, you know, like investing a lot and, uh, you know, like can start, let's say there is a primary cooperative that have like five washing stations, you know, like they set a standard with one yeah. factory. Yeah. Uh, and then the other factories start to look at what are these guys doing, you mm. know, like because they get like a better premium for the coffee and uh, the, they're getting like, a, you know, like a good brand now, name out there. And then they are, you know, like uh, copying or changing their uh, quality control and processing accordingly yeah. to reach the same level. So it is. Uh, yeah. And we have seen many examples of that where we start with a you know like one factory from one cooperative and cut a lot of the others they're not like i mean the coffees are okay but they're not necessarily on the higher quality level year two year three there are more factories from the same cooperatives that are performing well yeah i do i remember um uh, this is many years ago um one of the marketing agents they opened the mill in the west part uh, in mount elgon and uh, I was curious to see how the coffees were there. And everyone said, oh, the coffees there aren't any good. You know, they're not as good as the Neary ones. And I went and I actually found some really, really nice coffees. And I believe that uh, the reason why everyone was focused on Neary and they have such a good reputation is because that's where most of the marketing agents had their extensionist service. And were kind of working really closely with the cooperatives to improve you know how the farming practices they did pre-financing of inputs they were teaching uh, the cooperatives how to process better and kind of following up much more whereas in the west nobody went there uh, but now you see uh, like you mentioned uh, new areas coming up and there are so many nice uh, coffees and also different profiles of coffees um, i also buy a little bit of coffee in embu and i find that coffee to be quite different than the one from nieri and also cupped a lot of uh, Kirinyaga coffees, Kirinyaga coffees this year, and they are spectacular, but with a very characteristic uh, profile that is different from the Nieri one. So there is a little bit of, uh, of coffee for everyone there, I think. And uh, yeah, why why should you go to many different origins when you can go to a you know an origin where the quality is so high and uh, you can find so many different profiles? No, oh, I agree. And uh, I mean, we're not going to go into that, but like we we said earlier, I mean. Back to the, you know, like when we're talking about Nieri, Kirinyaga, Embu, they're all, you know, like around the Mount, uh, Mount Kenya. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, it was a lot of focus on Nieri. Uh, and then there was some political issues that just forced the marketing agents and us aspires to mm. look outside of Nieri, that specific relatively small place. Yeah. And for me, that's been like actually great. Uh, and I think for the... For, for many of the farmers there, the marketing agents, the exporters, they've also seen that there are super good coffees outside of that small, you know, like very uh, soaked after uh, kind of Nieri cluster. Yeah, the that everyone champagne was district. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think that's been great. And uh, yeah, I mean, we have seen so many great coffees with, let's say, different uh, attributes and profiles. Yeah. Uh, 
Actually, the one uh, that I have been buying in the West from a factory called Capsucisio, uh, most of the farmers, they reckon like about 90% of the coffee is actually K7 variety and not SL. Mm-hmm. They have a little bit of SL, but uh, traditionally they planted the K7s there and that, you know that's what you get. And it's also very close to the Ugandan border. Uh, sometimes I guess there will be Ugandan coffee sold in Kenya, but uh, <laughs> but there for is for sure. sure a different profile there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because <laughs> the prices in Kenya are high, and that's because of the quality. I mean, absolutely. Um, I don't know exact numbers, but uh, in uh, the average price there must be over two dollars per pound for commodity coffee, uh, and I think the commodity price is below two dollars. It's still too low, but for those qualities. Yeah. Speaking of quality, um, there are rumors in the internet that quality is going down in Kenya. I'm not sure I agree with that, uh, but I'm going to ask you before I say anything, is quality going down in Kenya? In my opinion, no. Uh, I mean, it depends on how you, you know, like uh, how you... Uh, what do you mean with quality? But I mean, I think, you know, like there was a time where you could go to, let's say, Nieri mm. again, you know, like to certain areas and find coffees that at that time, at least, you know, like 10, 15 years ago, it was spectacular. Yeah. And, you know, like, in my opinion, at that time, I mean, there was a lot of good coffees around, but it was harder to find amazing coffees. So I think they were standing out as something you know, like very unique relative to the, let's say, the general coffee uh, environment we were in. Yeah. Um, But I mean, I remember when I was there, you had to, you know, like even to fill the container with like just super good coffees, you had to dig pretty deep uh, because there was a lot of, nice decent coffee but to find like those coffees that were really standing out if you're going to do some volumes it wasn't like that easy either Mm. Uh, but a feeling you know like i had when i found that one coffee or two coffees it was like i i I felt like uh i found gold it was like a feeling (laughs) of you know i think i found the best coffee in the world ever yeah Yeah. but i mean uh, now at least for us i mean we're buying pretty decent volumes mm. uh, we're talking i mean yeah it depends on who's listening but we're buying six seven containers of spectacular coffee you know like in a season even more yeah. um i think we're actually almost to 10 and most of it is is double a's and, and really good ab's and i think you know like the average uh, score for those coffees are uh, are amazing and i think also there's a much bigger range now to be found so I don't know if you have like one very specific attribute you're looking for, it could be hard. But uh, generally, I think you can. I think development there has been great in the sense that there are you know like a broader range and more let's say washing stations, factories that are producing mm. super high quality. I know that you did some homework and looked at uh, <laughs> some scores because. You, you, uh, just to explain, you, you do cupping in your lab with your staff uh, and you record all the scores uh, for your cuppings in a cr- program called Cropster. So you do keep uh, keep the records, Yes, I guess. 
So you just mentioned that briefly before we started this conversation. Can you explain? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so I mean, the the you know, like we we do go to Kenya and then we cup, you know, like hundreds and hundreds of coffee uh, probably throughout the season and make a selection. But we also, like I mentioned, we have a very specific, uh, you know, like let's say a a wish list of uh, names and stuff that we're buying. Um, But then, like whether we are there cupping or if we get, you know, like and or if we get samples, you know, like as soon as they come, let's say to Oslo, we record everything here uh, yeah. uh, as a group. So we're, uh, I mean, there's like several people that are cupping to get like, a, let's say, a, a, an average. Um, and uh, I mean, I found like uh, at least a good, you know, like to, to get to some statistics that are that I find interesting. You need uh, a good uh, range and a good number of samples. Yeah. So from 2017 is when we started to use Cropster like fully, and then I took like uh, just like uh, took some reports out from 20. I took from 2017, 2019, 2021, and 2022. Um, looked at the median score for uh, around 300 coffees from each season, just like from the peak, let's say peak of harvest, yeah. based on you know like what we are either considering to buying or what we did buy mm. and how they cupped, you know, like uh, after arrival. Mm. Um, and I found that there was like a, uh, actually like an increase year on year. So 2017 from what we kind of uh, after we did like the pre-screening, let's say, or what we found of good coffees was like 86.86, 2019, 86.91 on average, uh, 2021, 87 uh 04 mm. um, and then so far this year and the season started early this year so we cut through like uh i think we, i found like 400 uh uh you know like inputs uh already this year in our system now and we have like 87.36 oh. on average yeah i mean this is you know like there's many variables here but it was just interesting and I, I haven't done that for Kenya before now, when I knew we were going to have this uh, chat, just to see, yeah. at least to, to get an idea. Well, in the world of coffee, that is sound science, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we do science in coffee. We just need a couple of numbers and then, yeah, yeah it's yeah. true. Coffee quality is going up in Kenya. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but my experience is that, you know, quality goes up and down in every country. And uh, for instance, last year, there was a pretty bad year in the north of Honduras where we buy coffee. In the south, it was fine. Uh, In Kenya, I remember I was there in 2020 was the year of uh, COVID. uh, And there were floods everywhere during the harvest. So like rain, 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 rain. And of course, that affects quality because you can't dry the coffee efficiently. Uh, I think last year was a great year for Kenyan coffees at least we bought some really 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 good ones and there was more than enough to choose from and also this year i mean i don't think i've ever cupped that many great coffees in one single table in kenya of course they were now pre-selected a little bit for me whereas before i would just go down and cup whatever i could find um but uh, i would say that uh, quality goes up and down but you know i'm still scoring coffees above 90 sometimes and in the 88 89 points very very often and um yeah, you kind of need to know what to look for as well, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. But I mean, um, one thing, uh, one theory that I have is that um, 
I know that uh, there is more and more competition in our end of the market. Um, there's a lot more roasters, more competition. And um, uh, I know that there's much more AB coffees in the market than it used to be among the specialty roasters. And there's nothing wrong with AB coffees. They're just smaller screen size. But uh, I just looked in my, uh, my little sample selection because I normally cup the ABs and the AAs of the coffees that I buy. And uh, on average, I would score the ABs a couple of points below the double A's. Some years, they can be quite equal. Some uh, years, they can be far apart. And uh, it can also be a variation between lots. But in general, I would say that uh, if you are really into the highest, highest quality, I mean, there's no doubt that you should be buying double A's. <laughs> and uh, if your sample set is, you don't know if it's large or small screen size, and you start complaining about Kenyan coffee quality going down, well, there might be other reasons than the actual, you know, farming techniques and processing techniques. And I'm sure that uh, I'm it's probably, I don't know how many thousands of farmers there is in Kenya, but they can't all be doing that bad, you know. <laughs> there are, of course, still a lot of great coffee there. That's just my opinion. Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. Okay, so just because someone says that uh, they're disappointed doesn't mean that we all have to be disappointed. That's for sure. Um, how do you buy coffee there? Like, uh, if you're a roaster, for instance, uh, how can you buy coffee from Kenya? Uh, <laughs> you mean like through also an uh, exporter or importer? No, or in general, I can answer maybe for a, a small roaster, and then you can answer for uh, an even smaller roaster or even a big roaster. How do you, how do you trade coffee in Kenya? And who's your typical customer? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think it depends on, you know, like your setup, but, uh, I mean, if you're at the, at the size where you can, uh, import yourself, uh, of course, like in every country you can, you know, like connect with an exporter mm. and, uh, cup coffee with them. And, uh, I would say they're pretty professional in the sense of getting, you know, like, uh, things, uh, prepared for export and, and shipped and so on. Um, Very efficient, I have to say. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, like, uh, technically, it's, uh, it's uh, let's say, it's, uh, it's a pretty easy country to work with. But of course, if you're, like, smaller, um, it will be harder to go and select uh, 20 bags and, and get them shipped unless you work through uh, an importer or... Um, have like a setup with some someone that can consolidate containers for you and, uh, yeah. and so on. Um, but I mean, uh, that said, I mean, there's there is a lot of coffee there. Uh, I mean, it's not it the the let's say the production is decreasing. But I mean, as a buyer, it's one of those countries where you can go and cup through hundreds and hundreds of coffee. Um, and, uh, you know, like you're there when coffees are, let's say they're fresh, yeah. uh, straight from the, you know, like the warehouses at the factory, sometimes straight almost from the drying tables. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like, uh, like, uh, like always it takes some time to, let's say, adjust to that environment. You're also cupping in, you know, like 1,600, 700 meter yeah. uh, altitude <laughs> and uh, extraction is different. <laughs> so. Um, I think it's good to either, uh, you know, like, uh, let's say, have a plan mm. instead of go and randomly look for, for uh, you know, like uh, some coffees here and there among like all the hundreds of cups that you can um, 
that you can uh, get on a cupping table and um, yeah uh, I mean the way you know like the way like I said the way we work is that we are specific over many many years we have at least for for ourselves and uh, and the clients we know and the ones that uh, know us they also know that we are let's say working with certain factories and in certain regions uh, and they know what we are capable of let's say uh, find mm. uh, and there's also you know like uh, even if it's easy it, it, it's also about quality control their humidity and water activity for instance can yeah. be uh, an issue yeah. uh, both ways sometimes very much on the low side actually like yeah. they're over dried uh, so there's there's much more to it than just go and, and cup coffee and get them shipped of course like everywhere yeah. um, so yeah I would uh, I would say it depends on your size and it depends on what you're looking for and uh, yeah yeah I think uh, having a plan is a very good idea like yeah. uh, I know I've been buying coffee there from since 2008 and in the beginning it was quite confusing and uh, when you go down there there's a table of let's say 100 coffees just you're just looking for that fruity one and it's not there <laughs> nothing tastes fruity it's almost like you go into a barn it smells like uh, poop <laughs> and then after five minutes you, you don't smell it anymore because you get so used to it and uh, and also all the coffees are straight out of the roaster I mean they're f- very freshly roasted um, and then brewed slightly differently maybe a little bit darker roast than you used to they're fresh from the drying table so they're quite closed so I actually stopped looking for those fruity coffees when I'm there. I know the coffees are fruity. Like, uh, so I'm more looking for like sweetness, uh, mouthfeel, cleanliness, uh, acidity, structure, these kind of things. And I know that if those things are really good, I just know the coffee is going to be spectacular when it arrives in Norway. And today I will bring samples back home, roast them, wait a few days and then cup and then confirm, of course, and check moisture and stuff. I don't really mind the uh, dry coffees. You know, I buy coffees down to 8% with no problem. People say it's difficult to roast. No, it's not, but it's different to roast. <laughs> so you have to kind of change your profile a little bit. But um, I'm more uh, concerned if the moisture is too high because then you tend to get problems with fading, and which also happens with Kenyan coffees, for sure. It does. Yeah. So it's, they're not immune to that. All right, maybe we should try to wrap this up. Uh, we could talk about Kenya for uh, three weeks, I think, because it's an exciting origin and you know, lovely people down there. Uh, I think the system works pretty well for a buyer. Like it's super easy to buy. It's efficient. Um, it's uh, kind of set up for uh, specializing if you want to. Uh, I know some of the bigger commercial roasters in Norway buy a lot of good quality Kenyan ABs for their blends. Uh, so it's kind of an origin where everyone goes to for high quality coffees for sure but um, we mentioned a little bit that the average age of a farmer is around 60 years or something we mentioned that uh, real estate is taking over coffee farms in the near area Uh, will there be Kenyan coffees in the future you think uh, yeah, I think so. I hope so. And uh, there are, like you mentioned, there are new areas. West is one. Uh, there are other places, you know, like the profiles are different. But I I do think there will be uh, coffee in the future. Maybe 
not as much of the same coffees as we're kind of discussing now that mm. are basically from the Mount uh, Kenya area. Um, but I, I still I still believe even there, there will be coffee production. Mm. Uh, but there are new areas and uh, we, we've, we've done like one pros, uh, project now as an example. That's mainly for naturals, but in uh, for from something called Mara Estate, which is like a, a guy that have uh, ch- changed the farm that used to do vegetables and fruit into coffee mm. in an area where there's not that much coffee, and the coffee has been great in in Narok. Did you say something. naturals? Yeah, that should be illegal. <laughs> this should no. be a lifetime sentence <laughs> no, no, to no. do naturals in Kenya. No, 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 no. Okay, that's another episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can invite Jamie again <laughs> to talk about uh, funky coffees. But those coffees won't taste like your best Nieris anyway. They're, no. they're different in, yeah. in profile. So, uh, and I think that's part of the development. And even for wash coffees, I know there are things going on. Uh, we talked about before this, uh, before we started, like uh, Machakos is a place. So there, there are places in, in Kenya in general where there's like new, you know, like new f- plantings, Farmers that are, you know, like uh, going from other crops to coffee yeah. because they see uh, potential in, in coffee in Kenya uh, outside of uh, of the well-known uh, regions. Yeah. My dream is that, uh, I, I mean, coffee is obviously disappearing maybe from the traditional areas. Um, but my dream is to see uh, organic coffee there. <laughs> uh, like sustainably grown coffee because it's not sustainable the way they do it now um, and I th- really believe there's potential for that because the farms are small uh, there is it makes so much more sense to do like permaculture uh, where coffee is a part of a farm not just uh, the actual farm um, and I truly believe that the quality will go up when they do that um, so that's one thing that I dream of but I also think that because uh, the standard of living in Kenya is going up um, and uh, land is hard to get and all these kind of things. Uh, I really hope that the farms that are producing coffee will be even more specialized and actually the focusing more on quality rather than the kind of volume game because maybe that's a, a thing that is kind of slowly disappearing, uh, the old cooperative model or I don't know. but. Um, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> There's also an X factor in this, and that's politics. And coffee is definitely a political crop in Kenya. It's very often used by politicians to get voters, and yeah. Uh, so it's a what do you call it? A hot topic always during elections, for sure. True. Yeah. Well, well. Uh, anything else we should talk about before we wrap it up? You're happy. I'm happy. Yeah. It's good. I'm looking forward. How did you like the coffee that I served you? It was great. I talked uh, and were thinking so much, so I I hardly tasted it. But yeah, yeah, it okay. was good. <laughs> no, 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 it was good. I know it was a Kenyan. Uh, yeah, it was already. It was uh, the second best coffee that we bought uh, this year um, from a factory called Gachatha. Uh, at least second best on the cupping table. Sometimes when the coffees arrive. Uh, they might not become worse or something, but they change and other coffees might open up. So then some other coffees might shine more. Uh, what I really found about this coffee and another one that we bought is that it really had a lot of that tropical fruit flavor, like super ripe mango and just like a soft mouthfeel, super sweet. 
uh, and I just know that it's going to taste extremely good uh, as iced coffee or just by drinking it like as it is. Nice. Cool. Yeah. Um, thank you for joining me, Morten, and uh, for talking about Kenya for such a long time. I was supposed to actually talk to Kennedy, who works for Dormans, but uh, when I was there, but uh, he was just too busy uh, doing buying season. He has a lot of guests, and you know, and I was a little busy as well, so um, that didn't happen. But hopefully, next time uh, I'm there, I can speak to some people who work down there. And uh, we have some friends who work there as well um, that are doing uh, some is roasting, some work for exporters, you know. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in Kenya and uh, a nice coffee community. And they had um, uh, one of their barista champions was in the finals, was it last year? Martin Shabaya. I had dinner with him when I was there and what a fantastic guy, you know. There's a kind of growing, enthusiastic young community there who really wants to changed the way coffee is grown and, uh, and served and everything in Kenya so that's definitely a place to keep an eye on I think for sure yeah thank you Martin for joining us and uh, to all the listeners thank you for listening uh, maybe this episode was a little bit too long uh, I don't know let us know if you have any questions comments or anything uh, you can use our Instagram account Tim and uh, yeah send us a message about the podcast Thanks for tuning in and until next time, have a nice day.